morning to you. <laughs> I'm very grateful for the uh, young men from Maranatha who have come to be with us today and uh, to minister as they did, and it was wonderful yesterday as well. Uh, in the last several years, it has been my privilege to preach in various locations, and I have a lot like Rekindle. I have preached for various uh, youth events, and which has been wonderful, uh, and I have been a part of uh, serving alongside the men from Maranatha and their musical teams uh, through the years, and it's always a blessing to see uh, young adults with a heart for God and uh, uh, who want to serve, and uh, I'm grateful that there are young adults who have hearts for God's in various places. Maybe they don't always travel, but uh, uh, I'm so grateful for that, and I'm very thankful for your church. Uh, this is uh, my second service today, but most of you know that uh, because of the, the dual services here, so I'll say some things that I said earlier um, to, the, uh, to the church that gathered earlier today. Um, but uh, I'm very grateful for your church. Thank you for your heart for the young people of this area, your heart for the next generation. I don't know how many years now that you have done uh, Rekindle and uh, the whole resource teen ministry, youth ministry. It's been uh, a long time, even when I was uh, at, uh, at Burge Terrace as a youth pastor, which is now a few years ago. And uh, thank you for your heart for the next generation. Please never lose that. And for all of you who did, I know Pastor already said this, but for all of you who, who served yesterday or even in preparation for yesterday, oh my goodness, yesterday for all its wonderful things, it wouldn't have happened without you. And uh, you, uh, you know, th those who come and are served by you, they don't often understand everything you have done, but you, you have, and your prayers and um, uh, your emphasis, I just... I just love it and love you guys very much. Uh, Pastor did mention this, and I, I will talk a little bit about this here at the beginning. Uh, but uh, after six, six and a half years now of evangelism that my family has been in, the Lord has given us a new call. He has called our family to join with three other families, three other pastoral families. And we're moving and have moved already to Reno, Nevada. Uh, we are planting uh, a Baptist church there in the city of Reno, Nevada. Uh, we, as a church planting team, we don't want to just plant one. We'd like to plant multiple churches in the near future. As God builds the first church, we'd like to advance and, and then plant a second church from that. And then as God builds up those two churches, we'd like to then go and plant churches from there. Uh, there is a great need for the gospel in the city of Reno, Nevada. 500,000 people, a very dark city, a difficult city, um, a pretty normal American city, if I can put it that way. But it's a very secular. Uh, we drove around the city. Uh, before we moved there, uh, we drove for 30 minutes. And in that time, one of us uh, commented, you know, I think we have seen and counted two church buildings in those 30 minutes. Drive 30 minutes around Indianapolis. How many church buildings of any type are you going to find around here? A lot, I know, because I lived in Beach Grove <laughs> for uh, a few years. And uh, so, yeah, we, and, and, and there's a need in Indianapolis, but there is a great crying need in Reno as well. So my family has already moved there. We're living in an apartment, and uh, we're surrounded by hundreds of people. 
people are flooding out of California right now, other places as well, but uh, people are flooding into uh, Reno. It's growing. In fact, the city of Reno is projected to grow by 60,000 residents in the next five years. That's more than 10% growth. Uh, it is a very business-friendly. It's trying to become another Silicon Valley. Uh, Google is there and Tesla is there. Um, uh, Amazon, Apple. Are you an Apple product person? I am. But uh, the, uh, if, if you are, have you ever wondered where the cloud is? Have you ever asked yourself this question? I've seen it. It's in Reno. <laughs> uh, at least one of them is. And, and to be honest, you know what the cloud is? It's a bunch of warehouses. That's what it is. Uh, host, uh, having all of our information on that. But it's uh, that anyway. Uh, so there are a lot of people moving there. Lots of jobs. Lots of growth. But though it is financially growing and financially robust, it is spiritually depressed. These are words that we've been hearing. It is a dark, it's a difficult place. About 6% evangelical there in the city. Uh, and by that I mean uh, churches that um, preach the gospel, or write on the gospel. Different styling of churches, you know that. There's all sorts of different styles of church and different flavors. Sometimes people put it that way. But they're right on the gospel. Only about 6% in the entire city. And it's been that way since the 90s. So it's, it's very stagnant. And um, we were told, you know, that we're not the first church planters there in Reno. Uh, we've been told, you know, church planters come and church planters go because it's a very difficult place. But we are confident in the power of the gospel and, uh, and, 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 in, and in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are going as four families initially, uh, four pastors. Uh, I am, my particular role, I'm going to be providing the pastoral leadership in outreach specifically. Uh, if you know anything about a pastoral team and pastoral leadership, responsibilities all overlap. But uh, my primary responsibility is going to be that of outreach. And the other men are going to provide leadership in uh, some other places as well, other uh, parts of the, <clears throat> of the church. January of 21, we plan to start gathering, start meeting with anybody that we've already met. Anybody wants to come, it's going to be more like a soft launch, uh, Bible studies, uh, maybe in our apartment, maybe in uh, someone else's house. Uh, we're going to be doing that. Uh, because of COVID, things like public schools, we can't rent right now. And uh, so we don't know exactly where we will begin to meet, but we will. Soft, soft launch, Bible studies, meeting. By, the, uh, by April, spring, we plan to be meeting every week. Uh, and then through the summer, we already have one church that's uh, very close, um, probably going to be coming to help us do a little, a very strong promotion of the, the, the church there. Hey, we're here in Reno type of an idea. And September the 19th will be our hard launch, our first big Sunday but as you can tell, that's about eight or so months, nine months that we will have been meeting anyway. Uh, so that's going. And I told the other uh, earlier service, I'll tell you as well, if you want to know anything about Reno or why we're going or what we're doing, come ask me after the service and you may want to sit down because I will talk your ear off about it. I really will. And uh, we're excited about this God's this new call in our life of um, planting churches there. And uh, we're all from a Baptist heritage, so they're going to be Baptist churches. And uh, uh, we're, we're very much excited about what God is doing. Okay, enough of that. I'll stop chatting. Uh, and let's get to the Word of God. And I want to speak on that very subject, what's on my heart specifically uh, on this. And so I would encourage you to go to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew this morning, chapter 9. 
please. Matthew chapter 9. If you are uh, here on uh, watching online, I think that's wonderful. And uh, may the Lord bless you. And uh, I trust that uh, he will speak to you as well through his word. Okay. Matthew chapter 9. My text this morning will be the final four verses of this amazing chapter. As soon as I begin reading, some of you might immediately recognize these verses. Beginning in verse 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow. I ask that you answer this very prayer request to send forth more laborers into your harvest field. And I pray for your glory that you meet with us, help us to understand your teaching today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to begin by asking you this question. Have you ever been surprised by the Lord Jesus? Have you ever been reading in the scripture and he says something or he does something? And as you read it, it takes you back a little bit and you think, I wouldn't have expected him to say that. I wouldn't have expected him to act that way or to interact with that person that way. Have you ever been surprised by him? The more you study the Lord Jesus, I believe the more he does surprise you as you see more and more of his heart unfolding. Here in Matthew chapter 9, he has been hard at work in building his kingdom. He has been very busy. You see, Jesus was an evangelist. Jesus was a disciple maker. Jesus was all about reaching out to people and bringing them into relationship with his father through him. And his heart for sinners would eventually kill him upon the cross. But here in Matthew 9, he is hard at that gospel work. But at the end of the chapter, he reveals something surprising. He says to his disciples, I need help. The time is too short for me here on this earth. The need is too great. I cannot reach all of these people in the short time I have. Souls must be saved before it is too late. I need more help. Gentlemen, I need your help. I need helpers for the harvest. Does this surprise you? Does this this astonish you? It should. The Lord of eternity is asking for help. I know this, as I study the Lord Jesus, his heart broke for the harvest. What does your heart break for? Does your heart break with what broke the heart of Jesus? If not, why not? Today, what I would like to do is go through this text, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, and I want you to look at Jesus. I mean, he's the hero of the Bible, right? He is the one we should be studying. He is the one we should be learning from. So we're going to look at Jesus. But as you look at Jesus, you're going to observe some things. In verse 35, I want you to observe the work Jesus did. 
He's hard at work. I want you to see what he did. And may that energize you to be involved in similar work. But then as we look at verse 36, I want you to observe the need that Jesus saw. When you see what Jesus saw, may that scandalize you as it scandalized him. And then the real focus of the passage is verses 37 and 38. And I want you to observe the help Jesus sought. And as you hear his call to action, may it mobilize you to act the way he has called us to. So there you go. Let's look at it. Let's look at Jesus. Number one, in verse 35, observe the work Jesus did. Let me read verse 35 again. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Here is an excellent summary of the evangelistic ministry of our Lord. Teaching, preaching, healing. This is what he was involved in. Let's break these three down. First off, Jesus was busy in the work of teaching. Our text tells us that he is teaching in all the synagogues, that's the Jewish houses of worship, in all of the the cities and villages and towns of Galilee. That's in the northern region of Israel. And people were astonished at his authoritative teaching. Because he's not teaching like their scribes. He's not teaching like their uh, religious leaders. No, he's teaching with authority. They are moved by this. And what was he actually teaching? Well, when you study the scripture, the, the gospels, it's obvious what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching the law and the prophets. You know it better as the Old Testament. That was the scripture in his day. He is teaching, and like a master expositor, Jesus is taking what they already had, and he was making plain what they should have known. He was beginning at Moses and the prophets and expounding in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I love this. When Jesus was teaching, he is opening up the Old Testament and saying, Folks, this is all about the coming Messiah. This is all about the one who would be born of a virgin. The Old Testament is all about the one who would come preaching deliverance to the captives, uh, setting those who were in bondage free, uh, those who are in need of healing, bringing hope and help, and that would die for the sins of his people and also would rise again from the dead. And oh, by the way, I am that promised Messiah. His teaching was like rays of sunlight, uh, breaking through the dark clouds of confusion and misinterpretation from all the other teachers that had been uh, teaching them in this way. He exposited the Old Testament with all the passion and precision of someone who actually knew what it was all about because after all, he was the one who wrote it. He was the master teacher explaining it to them and he was telling them, The Old Testament is all about me. So you ask yourself, what was Jesus teaching? I'll tell you what Jesus taught. Jesus taught Jesus. He was his own message. We can do no better. He is our message. And I'm grateful that you are a part of a church that every week teaches Jesus. He is the message for our day. In a world that is confused, in a world looking for truth, it is incumbent upon us, it is our responsibility as the followers of God to take the scripture that is so prevalent in our country and make plain what they should know 
And the Holy Spirit opens up their heart and mind. So Jesus was busy in the work of teaching. But notice also he was busy in the work of preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Maybe you sit here and say, what is the difference between teaching and preaching? Well, there was a Welsh preacher named uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He uh, pastored in London in the 20th century. And he famously said, if you don't know the difference between teaching and preaching, you've never heard preaching. (laughs) Let me tell you the difference. Teaching is content. Preaching is summons. You see, when Jesus was teaching, he was imparting information about himself. Oh, but when Jesus was preaching, he was calling for a decision to follow him. In effect, this is what Jesus was saying. You have heard of me from the Old Testament, now believe in me. That's preaching. You are learning about me, that is teaching, now come after me. That is preaching. He is calling for a decision. The time has arrived. This is your moment. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Decide to follow me. Do not delay a moment longer. Come and follow after me. And let me me just pause for a moment and do a little bit of preaching myself. Are you a follower of Jesus? Oh, I know you have heard of Jesus. I know that you are learning of him. In fact, I'm seeking to teach and speak of Jesus today. But now as we switch to this mode of preaching, I wonder, have you come after him? Do you follow him? Oh, yes, you've learned that he is the eternal son of God. And like you, he took on flesh and blood. But unlike you, he lived a life free of sin. He went to the cross to die and to take away our sin and to reconcile you and the Father again. To make you right with God. There on the cross, he destroyed the power of Satan over you and he died to deliver you from the shackles that held you. You say, yeah, I've known this. Jesus died for me. Wonderful. Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus? Have you become a follower of his? You know about him. Now come after him if you haven't. Fall down and submit to him. This is preaching. This is what Jesus was involved in. Telling about himself and then calling for a decision. But not only that, we see also in verse 35, he was busy in this act of healing every disease and every sickness among the people. Who are the people? Well, they are the people of Galilee. There in Galilee, it was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. It was a very diverse ethnicity up there in the region of Galilee. That tells us this, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of national origin, Jesus healed them all. You know what that tells us about Jesus? Jesus does not discriminate based on skin color. He does not discriminate based on nationality. He does not discriminate based on language, wealth, gender, or religious affiliation. No. What does Jesus see? He sees broken people in need of hope, in need of healing. This is the heart of Jesus. In fact, it says he healed every disease and every sickness among the people. While Jesus ministered multiple times in Galilee, what do we see him doing? Effectively banishing disease in Galilee. Here we see him eliminating physical suffering. Oh, the kindness of God. Oh, the tender mercy of our Lord. 
Now, of course, he was not merely healing the bodies of these sick people. He was also, and more importantly, healing their souls. You know this, physical healing is temporary, right? Spiritual healing is eternal. The people who were healed by Jesus, they've died. Physical healing is always temporary. When you pray for God to bring physical healing, God is often merciful. And we pray for that. Lord, be merciful. And he is a merciful God. And often he chooses to physically heal. But you do realize you're praying for something temporary. And how gracious and kind uh, our Lord is when he does that. But more importantly is the spiritual healing. You see, when these folks placed their faith in Jesus, he not only touched and healed their physical body, but he healed their spiritual sickness. He healed their soul. And then their physical healing became an object lesson, a preview of coming attractions. All who believe in Jesus will one day be made perfectly whole. Yes, even your broken body. It is not a guarantee for the Christian to have physical healing in this life. It's wonderful when the Lord brings physical healing. You've experienced that. Others have. We have. We're grateful for that. It's not guaranteed for the Christian in this life. But you know what is guaranteed for the Christian? Total, perfect healing one day. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. He has defeated death. He has defeated Satan. He has even defeated disease. In fact, the, the apostle would say to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, we are looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our vile body and transform it or fashion it that it may be made like unto his glorious body. Even disease submits to Jesus Christ in the end. This is the promise of the resurrection. Are you a Christian? You will one day be perfectly healed. Yes, even your body. Jesus was heavily engaged in kingdom work, but everything he was doing was pointing to his ultimate work, that of his salvation work upon the cross. And as it was for Jesus, so it must be for you. You've got to work. You've got to provide for your family. You've got to have a job. But in your work, may it always point to the cross. I know you're occupied with, or you have, a, you have, you have an occupation, but my question is what are you occupied with as you work, as you go to school? Are you occupied with making money? Are you occupied with making ends meet? Are you occupied with making good grades? These are all wonderful things to pursue and necessary things, by the way. But are you occupied with making disciples? Jesus was. In the midst of his teaching, preaching, and healing, it was all about the cross. So what consumes you? What motivates you in ministry, in work, in school, in family, in life? What are you living for? When you close your eyes in death one day, what do you want to be known for? Boy, she sure made a lot of money. Boy, he really made ends meet. He made the grade. Or do you want to be known as someone at the end of life, as someone who made disciples? in the midst of making money to survive. Teach, preach, point to the healer. This is the work Jesus did. This is the work you and I must be involved in. 
But now we come to verse 36, and I want you not only to see the work Jesus did, but I want you now to observe the need Jesus saw. And this needs to scandalize you. Look at verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Here Jesus is overwhelmed by the sheer numbers of people who were pressing in around him and their spiritual needs. Here Jesus is engaged in life-changing work, but he stops to view the unfinished task before him. And what is he struck with? The size of the crowds. Now notice, that is a plural word. He saw the multitudes. This is not just one crowd of people. These are multiple crowds of people. Enormous numbers of people and their great needs striving to be around him. There were many curious people. People looking for thrills. People looking for Jesus to do a miracle. People wanting to be fed. People wanting to be healed. People wanting to trip Jesus up in what he was going to say. Uh, People who were born. People had nothing else to do. There are all sorts of people around Jesus for all sorts of reasons. And Jesus saw them. The world yet unreached. I am grateful that he was not so busy, can I put it this way, in church work. That he failed to see people in need. What about you? Listen, I know because I am guilty of it. So involved in ministry so involved in uh, aspects of church life. We drive by people after people after people, and we never even think about how much they're in need and hurting. Jesus wasn't that way. He had accomplished much, but he knew it had but scratched the surface, and this bothered Jesus. In fact, it says in verse 36, he was moved with compassion on them. The idea here of compassion is he suffered an emotional trauma when he saw the crowds. He had an emotional reaction. And my friends, this was no momentary pang of sympathy. This was no spasm of motivation because he heard a motivating preacher deliver a motivating message about reaching people for Christ. It was no momentary spasm of motivation. This was an ache in his soul. His heart was being attacked. This was a love that wounded him. Why? What was it about the crowds that attacked his heart? Simply this, they were hurting. And those who should have been helping them were further hurting them. That's what bothered Jesus. We have a very famous statement here in verse 36. They fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Have you grown up in church? Have you heard this statement before? Like every missionary? Every church planter? Every person who wants to motivate you to be more concerned about reaching the lost? Fainted and scattered abroad, the harvest. As the old saying goes, this can be like water off a duck's back for us. But do you know what these terms actually mean? Fainted and scattered abroad? Well, let's give some synonyms here. Let me rhyme. They were battered and then they were scattered. How about alliterated? They were helpless, or they were harassed and helpless. Uh, How about... Uh, Putting it this way, they were chewed up and spit out. But can I get very real with you? Sin had abused them. And the spiritual leaders that should have helped them were abusing them further. 
that broke the heart of Jesus. You see, sin had abused them. That's what the word fainted means. Sin had worn them down to the breaking point. They were weary with the tyranny of sin. Do you remember, Christian, what life was like before Jesus? They had suffered the searing pain of betrayal and immorality and greed and pride and injustice and abuse from other people and even the war going on in their own heart. Sin had mastered them. Sin had torn into them. Sin had ruined them. And they wanted to get out of the pain. They wanted to get out of the, of the junk. They wanted to get out of the vicious circle. They had tried everything to get out of the heartache, the pain, the anger, and the weariness. And nothing they tried gave them relief. That's where our world is. They've tried everything. But hey, at least they have spiritual leaders that they can turn to and help them out, right? Jesus said not only were they fainting, but their spiritual leaders were treating them as unwanted, untended, uncared for sheep. They were scattered abroad like sheep, having no shepherd. They turned to the shepherds of their souls, the religious elite and the religious leaders of their day. And rather than them helping the sheep, they spiritually brutalized them. Those who could have brought them hope, who could have brought them healing, who could have brought them love and the favor of God and a hope and grace. Instead, they put and added oppressive burdens, man-made traditions, behavior modifications, self-righteous moralism. No wonder Jesus would turn to them, the spiritual leaders of the people of Israel, in Matthew 23, verse 4, and say, You have tied heavy burdens, hard to bear. You lay them on people's shoulders, but you will not do anything to lift the burden off them. It's one of the most scathing words Jesus ever uttered, Matthew 23. You read what he thinks about spiritually brutalizing spiritual leaders, religious leaders. Are you there today? Has sin so beat you up, the sin in your own heart or the sin of other people against you, and you long within your heart, if you could just break free, if you could just get your life back, if you could just have anything to, to, to break out of this vicious cycle of heartache and pain and weariness, and you've tried everything. You've tried pills. You've tried, uh, you've tried wine. You've tried entertainment. You've tried porn. You've tried self-harm. You've tried throwing yourself into a worthy cause. Uh, you've tried self-help. You've tried everything you've tried religion and nothing you try could ever seem to make this this pain go away my question to you is if you've tried everything have you tried jesus because if there's anybody who hears the wounding and seeing the scars of your sin left behind it's jesus jesus not only sees you he's weeping for you he's reaching out for you have you seen a mother when she hears her little baby a little toddler hurt and that toddler's crying and doesn't know where mom is. And mom reaches down and says, I want you. Let me cradle you. That's the Lord Jesus for you today. He sees you battered and brutalized. He knows you've tried everything. His heart breaks. He's reaching for you. He's weeping for you. Will you reject him again? He is actually what you need. 
the person you need. This is the greatest good news that I could ever preach to you. Come and find firsthand that his burden is light. He doesn't want you to clean yourself up. Isn't that wonderful to know? Because he'll do it for you. Bring your broken, battered, brutalized, beaten down soul to him. And say, Jesus, I have nothing but my brokenness to bring to you. And Jesus says, that's exactly what I want. He takes away your unrighteousness and gives him your, or his righteousness. Now, I know that the heart of Jesus breaks for hurting people, but now I speak to my brothers and sisters in Christ as yours. I read here that Jesus had an emotional reaction when he saw the multitudes. I imagine there may be someone in here, you had an emotional reaction when I announced the text this morning. Matthew 9, 35, 36, 37, 38. You turn there and go, oh, church planter, ding, ding. This is like the only passage in the scripture they know. know? (laughs) Harvest is plenteous, labors are few. Yep, yep, I've heard this. I know where this sermon's going. And you had an emotional, now you wouldn't react that way. But in your heart, maybe, you're like, okay, got to listen to this passage again. Where is your emotional reaction to people who actually need help? That's where your emotion should be drawn towards. That's where your heart should go towards. Have you no tears? Have you forgotten the tyranny and pain of a life without Christ? Can you drive by your neighbors? Can you drive onto the parking lot of of the restaurant here in just a few minutes? And people walking by with smiles plastered on their faces and it never crosses your mind that they are lying through their smile that everything is okay. Their hearts are hurting. Have you no tears for the spiritual lies that are being peddled even in churches today in the name of God? Preaching self-help. Preaching legalism. Self-righteous moralism. And not preaching Jesus. Does this bother you? That people who want help are being further brutalized by supposed spiritual leaders? May God rouse Southeast Baptist again. Cry out to Jesus again. So that you can cry like Jesus again. This is the need Jesus saw. But finally we come to the, to the, uh, the main focus of the text. I want you to observe the help Jesus sought. This is verses 37 and 38. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You would think with such a pressing need, with the short time that Jesus had, that he would redouble his efforts. He would work even harder to reach the lost. But does he? No, he stops and he talks to his disciples. You see, Jesus was unable in his day to physically reach every poor, broken, beaten down sinner headed to judgment in his own country. Not even counting those, all the people groups throughout the globe. As strange as it sounds to us, Jesus is asking for help. 
The planting is already done. Multitudes are ready for harvest. It's a potential for a bumper crop. Multitudes right now in the moment of decision. It's harvest time in their life. Their season is passing. Will they be harvested or will they be neglected? Now, I want to be clear. Make no mistake, the Lord will save those whom he will save. He is sovereign over salvation. That is clear in the scripture. And whom will he save? It's also clear in scripture. Everyone who wants him to, he will save. Whoever will call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I ask you, do you want him to save you? He will. But how will they hear without a preacher? How many are perishing today for want of a preacher? I have sought as a preacher this morning to deliver my burden. I have sought to release myself from the responsibility. I have sought my best to preach Christ to you to the best of my ability such as it is. So that I will not bear any blame if you continue to reject Jesus. It's on you. You need to come to him right away and come and welcome to Jesus. He will take you. But how many more have yet to hear? The plenteous harvest is fast becoming a perishing harvest and it will eventually be collected to be burnt. Now why is the harvest perishing? One reason Jesus tells us is because the labor force is so small. The harvest stands ready to be gathered. The laborers are hard at work. There are disciple makers already in the field. The Spirit of God is sovereignly bringing in a harvest of souls. People are going and gathering in His harvest. That's the wonderful news. But the harvest is still so vast for so few workers. We need more helpers for the harvest. Why are there so few helpers in the harvest? May I suggest three reasons. This is not in the text. These are my thoughts. Number one, I believe there are so few laborers because the cost to be a helper in the harvest is much too high. It's not an easy task to make disciples. Number two, our love for Jesus is much too low. That's why there are not many workers in the harvest field. Why do we do missions? Why do we plant churches? Why do we support missionaries? Why are we on mission? Why do we live for the Great Commission? Why? Because Jesus isn't honored. That's why. Jesus isn't lifted up. Does it bother you that Jesus is not honored today in Indianapolis? Does it bother you that Jesus is dismissed, that he is belittled, that he is not worshipped, that his enemies are not becoming his worshippers? Does that bother you? If it does, you make disciples. If you're not making disciples, not making that effort to bring people to Christ, making uh, people disciples of Christ, can you honestly say that you do love the Lord Jesus? Or maybe I should put it this way, that your love for Jesus is as strong as you think. I know you love Jesus. Another reason I believe there are so few laborers is because our passion for God's kingdom is much too small. So hear the call of Christ to you today. I need help. I need you. I want you. So what does Jesus do? In verse 38, he calls his disciples to action. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So here's the call to action. You say, I know, I know. Yeah, okay, the harvest is plenteous, labors are few, I need to be better at winning people to Christ. Okay, yeah, sure you do, and so do I. 
But is that what Jesus calls you to do here? No. What is his call to action? He uses the word therefore. Because the harvest is plenteous and the labors are few, therefore, pray. Does that surprise you? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest field. Pray that he would send forth more laborers into the harvest field. Pray. This is a prayer for more disciples to share in the blessing of what the Lord is already doing. Can I tell you this? My family is going to Reno because God's building his church in Reno. We want to be part of it. He is gathering in his harvest. I want to be a part of it. Do you? This is a prayer for God to send out more people into the harvest field. You must feel this responsibility. You must own this need. This is on you. God is building his church in Indianapolis on the southeast side. Are you a part of it? Why wouldn't you want to be a part of it? You and I have been entrusted with something far bigger than ourselves. Remarkably, surprisingly, Jesus is asking for helpers. Let his request mobilize you to pray. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you had a Matthew 9.38 prayer meeting? A time where you gave yourself exclusively to praying for the Lord of the harvest to send forth more laborers into his harvest. When was the last time you prayed that? When was the last time your family prayed that? Your church family prayed that? There is great expectation and assurance when we pray this. By the way, this is a command of the Lord to pray. Do you, do you need to repent this morning? Because let's just be honest, we haven't been obedient. Why is the labor force so small? We don't pray. That's why. No, I want to close with some good news and then I want to close with a caution. Okay? Here's the good news. When you pray Matthew 9.38, Jesus answers it. Isn't that great news? When you pray for God to send out more laborers into his harvest, he will answer it and he will send more laborers into his harvest field. Now let me caution you. When you pray Matthew 9.38, Jesus answers it. You say, I thought that's good news. It is good news. But I want you to watch how he answers it. How does Jesus answer Matthew 9.38? Matthew 10, 1, the very next verse. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, the very men he just talked to in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, and told them to pray. Now look at verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent forth. You know how Jesus answers Matthew 9, 38? By sending the very people who pray Matthew 9, 38. So you better count the cost before you pray this prayer. It does not mean that you have to leave Indianapolis. Now, it may mean that. It finally meant that for my family. Once upon a time, that meant our family moving to Indianapolis. Back in 2001. And here we are in 2020, and now God is moving us to another area. You don't have to leave Indianapolis to be a helper in the harvest, to be a disciple maker. Most of us in here are not going to leave this place, but some of you might. But I can tell you this, when you pray Matthew 9.38, God will do something in your heart for the kingdom. And let me ask you this, why wouldn't you want him to do something in your heart? 
I call upon you in the authority of Jesus to pray this prayer. Be obedient to your Lord. Pray Matthew 9.38. This is the greatest movement of our time. The harvest of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the scripture. And I pray again that you answer this prayer to send out more laborers, more disciple makers, more helpers into the harvest field. Pour out your blessing upon this church. You have been. It's obvious. It really is. And I'm thankful for this church has been very concerned about the harvest. That is obvious also. Only increase it for your glory. Amen. As we close this morning, if you are able physically, would you stand with me to your feet? And I'm going to ask that you just have your head bowed. My friend, maybe you need to take an opportunity right now to repent. Pray to the Lord and say, God, I have not been obedient to your call to pray. Matthew 9.38. I'm going to start now. Maybe you want to covenant with your husband or with your wife, with your family. You know, as a family, we're going to start praying this. Maybe there at home or in, even here in this auditorium, Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior and you're beaten up, you're bruised, you're tired of sin, you're, you're sick of sin. I got great news for you. Come to Jesus and he's going to relieve you of that burden. Would you call out to him for salvation right now? If you want to talk with pastor, you certainly can come. He's right here. Again, if you're at home, why don't you contact someone that you know here in the church? They'll be more than happy to help you. If I can help you, I'd be happy to do that as well. But here's an opportunity. If you want to sit down and pray, do that. If you want to come down here to the steps and pray, do that. If you want to pray with somebody else, go to them. Would you pray with me? But let us take a few moments to at least initially begin this process of going through what it is Jesus is calling us to do.